All right. Good morning, everyone. I think everything's working. Um, <clears throat> had a little bit of technical difficulty. You probably, hopefully, you can't tell that I did on your end. Uh, but on my end, one of my one of my laptop USB ports died this morning, and I rigged something up. So hopefully, it's working all right, and we can do a show today. I need to turn myself up in my ears. I like to hear myself in my ears. Some people don't like that. I like to be able to hear myself loud and clear. Um, all right. Welcome back. Welcome to 2024. This is just human number 233. We have some stuff to catch up on. Yeah. RIP port. Um, <laughs> I was, I was like, Oh shoot. Do I have another one on this thing? This old laptop. And I did thankfully. Um, so welcome to 2024. I am excited about it. I think this is going to, and I kind of made a new year's Eve post that was a little bit over the top, kind of silly kind of a silly New Year's Eve raw, raw post. Um, but I honestly do feel that 2024 is going to be a historic year. I mean, that's not hard to see because of the election this year. Uh, but I, I'm excited about it in a, in a positive way. Um, some people are not, um, and I can kind of, I can kind of understand that, but, um, one, I can't believe it's already 2024. 2020 doesn't seem like that long ago. And um, I, I just see so many things coming uh, coming good, quote unquote, or uh, uh, bearing fruit in 2024. And we've already seen a few things, and I'll just go ahead and knock out a, uh, a bit of clickbait that's going around with the Epstein files. So it is true. We're going to learn some more stuff about Epstein's clients this year. And we may even learn it this month. But it is not true that the flight log was released yesterday or the day before or the day before that or today or tomorrow. Um, there is so much clickbait going around. And most of what every, everything I have seen posted in regards to Epstein and his client list or his flight log is stuff that was already known either stuff that was released years and years and years ago um, or stuff that came out during Maxwell's trial. And just watch out. Don't instantly share something uh, just because somebody wrote a headline saying that this is the Epstein flight log. It's out. Here it is. Um, don't make that mistake. Lots of people are doing clickbait and um, on purpose to grow their own accounts and to get their get fame for themselves, um, basically. And then there's lots of other people who are just spreading it because they don't know better and they didn't check into what the info information was that they shared. Uh, but that's just one of the things I'm really excited about. And by the way, on Epstein in particular, it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying not to. I don't want to. I don't want to be on a soapbox too much. But if you've been watching me for two years now, then you know how, how invested I was in Maxwell's trial and how seriously I took it and then how upset I got that the greater truth community, MAGA community blackpilled over it. And I, I was beside myself over the amount of blackpilling, and I still am to a certain extent. And there are some influencers in MAGA with large followings who particularly blackpilled over the Maxwell trial that I basically have not forgiven them for it. 
because I saw it as such a huge win and they used their influence to make sure that we, that MAGA and the American people did not count it as a win and instead doomed over it. Well, here we are and everybody's all excited about more information coming out from that trial and from the lawsuits, which also I paid attention to at the very beginning. I said, look, check it out. You got a lawsuit against JP Morgan. You got a lawsuit against uh, Deutsche Bank. Look at all these these lawsuits against these banks for making money off of Epstein's operation. Look at this Virgin Islands lawsuit. And there was a lot of blackpilling about those. Nothing burgers, nothing ever is going to happen. Well, here we are. Uh, one of the number one news stories in the country right now is the full Epstein client list coming out this month. So... I don't want to like get on the soapbox and say, I was right. Ha ha ha. You people messed up or you missed it or whatever. But I do want to say that that is how these things go and just point out that it's not an immediate gratification. Um, as Bill, as my, one of my favorite people, Bill Barr said, these things take time and you have to examine the trends and the direction of things. Um, it's not going to be an immediate reward scenario. You have to look at the direction of it. And um, we should not know if the deep state had their way and if the deep state was winning, we should not know as much as we do about Maxwell and Epstein and their clients. And yet we do. And we should not uh, have these new stories about how we're about to get the Epstein client list, but yet here we are. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I want this information, but in the interim, the way these things go, and this isn't just unique to Epstein, um, any of these big uh, names and events, when things start teasing, getting teased out, Seth Rich is a great example. Um, when there's anticipation that there's going to be some new information, once that once that new cycle starts, saying, oh, this this is expected to come out, and in between the time when it does come out, the information does come out, you always have these fame-seeking accounts and clickbait accounts putting up old information and saying that it came, it's the new stuff in order to get shares and traffic. Happens with WikiLeaks and Assange. Um, you just got to watch out for that stuff. So anyway, back to what I was saying about 2024. That's one of the things I'm watching for. Seth Rich is another, which we talked about last month, um, where the the judge has ordered the FBI and for Huddleston to produce a t proposed timeline for disclosure of information from the two laptops, work and personal, DVD and tape drive, etc. So their timeline is no doubt going to include some dates in 2024. I would not expect to get all of the information in 2024 but i think we'll get some and that's something i'm looking forward to um the trend the trends i'm seeing i see cancon good morning cancon that's another thing i'm looking forward to in 2024 how many um election fraud stories and um investigations or court cases or whatever have suddenly borne fruit or bared fruit in the past month or two and then you had yesterday, or the no, not yesterday. It was within a few days ago. I don't remember. It all runs together. 
Trump posting his list, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this tonight on Devolution Power Hour, but Trump posting his report, although it's a report, but it's kind of more like a list or a gathering of like bullet points of election fraud in various states. There's all that stuff took time to come out. And I think um, I'll go ahead and make this point now. I'm going to say it tonight on Devolution Power Hour, um, unless I think on it some more and now I'm going to I'm pretty well set on this. One thing, my primary takeaway from Trump's election fraud report that he put out is that these are the ones that I take most seriously. Of all the accusations and allegations and suspected fraud and stories about fraud and various reports and substacks and videos and movies and uh, just all all the th- everything we've seen about there was fraud in this way and there was fraud here and it was done with this and this is how they stole it like all of this stuff there's been so much of it i think what wound up in that report that trump posted are the individual allegations and the data and the cases that i take most seriously and everything else i rank much lower but what is included in that report that Trump put out. That's what I think has the most solid, the most substantiation. And um, I find the report interesting. I'm not exactly sure what Trump's going to do with it. Uh, in the context of his cases, I think he can use it to say, look, I had reports coming to me that indicated what is in this. So as president, I had all this information coming to me that were out and they were allegating this stuff, some of it specifically, some of it more broadly. And because of that, I took it seriously. And that's why I did what I did between November and January. And then here I am now, or here we are years later and look at all this that I have, all these cases, all these reports, all these investigations that have been done that, that prove that what I was being informed of as president during that time frame between November 2020 and January 2021 was not frivolous, was not fraudulent, was not uh, garbage. There was substantiation to it. There was a real reason. There was, um, there, and therefore, my actions um, make that much more sense. Basically, he can use it as, as a defense or, and, and to explain what he did. So, uh, but that's one, one thing I'm looking forward to in 2024. Um, and then, of course, I'm looking forward to all these cases with Jack Smith. They, uh, it just keeps getting more and more interesting. As I was telling Burning Bright on Defected, I didn't think ever that Trump would be indicted. And, um, now that he has been, it's been so much fun. And, uh, I'm so happy I was wrong about that because it's been so much fun and we continue to learn, learn more. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about some of Trump's cases, uh, but um, we have more than that today. We're not just going to be reading court filings today. We've got a little bit more than that. And forgive my allergies this morning. I have been doing tons of housework and specifically work in, our, in my shop and on my old car, on my old Subaru, and uh, my allergies are acting up. So welcome, welcome. I hope you guys are as excited about 2024 as I am. Um, there is the potential, of course, for things to go pretty bad in 2024. Um, I have some concerns about what's going on in the Middle East. 
Um, I saw a report that Maersk has decided to stop shipping through um, the Suez Canal and in the Red Sea, and that's pretty scary because if a company that big that moves that many billions and billions and billions of product dollars worth of product is saying it's too dangerous and they're going to go around the Horn of Africa uh, or the Cape of Africa, whatever, the Cape. Um, it's going to drive up the prices of so much stuff. And I would expect that other shipping companies are going to follow suit. So that's not a decision a company makes lightly because it's a decision that it's going to cost billions of dollars. Um, now, of course, they're going to pass it on to their cons- their customers, but huge logistics. Um, it's going to have a huge effect on uh, global logistics and on the global economy. And if Maersk is doing it, probably a bunch of other companies are going to do it too. The other thing about it that I find kind of scary is that uh, those companies, they know a lot more about what's going on in the world than we do. Uh, they pay a lot of people to pay attention to global conflicts and... Uh, help them predict what they should do and the routes they should take. So if they think it's so dangerous they're making that change, then it probably really is more dangerous than what we're seeing in our in the news stories, right? Um, pretty disturbing. So definitely don't want to see us putting boots on the ground in the Middle East. I don't think we will, but... Um, we're closer to it than we've been in a long time. So, okay. As we get started this morning, before I get to uh, my main presentations, um, if you're interested in supporting the show, if you're interested in following me on social media and stuff, you can go to my link tree. It's in my bio and all, wherever you're watching this, there's the profile or the bio section or whatever. There's my link tree and you'll find all the places that I'm at. And you can follow me there. If you're interested in getting the podcast version of the show, I put it out through Substack and you can play it within the Substack app or you can link it to whatever podcast player you prefer. Support links. If you want to support the show, you can buy me a cup of coffee. I only have one cup of coffee this morning because my local my local roaster took off for two weeks for Christmas and hasn't delivered any. And I am down to my, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. It's a crisis over here for coffee. I actually, I get, (laughs) they're supposed to text me. (laughs) They're supposed to text me, uh, the store that I buy it from. They're supposed to text me when they get their next order in, uh, which cracks me up, but dang, it's important. Uh, I also have a link for, uh, it's affiliate link for Benson Honey Farm. So if you're interested in getting some honey, um, and you use this link, then go over there. Visit my friends at Benson Honey Farm. Get yourself some honey, some soap, whatever else. Definitely don't buy BB's car freshener. You don't need to buy his air freshener. No, 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 no. We we need to make sure that just human air fresheners are. Um, I wonder if it's under affiliate. Is that where you go for it? No, that's where you join. Where is it at? Y'all probably don't get the affiliate thing. There it is. There it is. See, there's Badlands. There's Just Human. Oh, BB's not listed right now, is he? Oh, he's. Oh, good. You have to scroll to find BB's. Okay. See, this is an advantage in our competition here, right? Because ours is actually right here. BB's, you have to hit the down arrow to find it. All right. So 
Pretend I didn't show you that. The only freshener, car freshener of any note over here is the just human one, okay? Uh, <laughs> and I'll get Mo to tell me the sales numbers so we can compare against BB. And if I'm winning, I'll let you know. If I'm not winning, then uh, we'll just move on. Also, bootleg products. It's been very cold outside. And um, bootleg chili has gotten me by. Um, and their seasonings. I made some steak with their seasoning last night. It was delicious. So bootleg products. I also have a promo link with that. If you're interested in some sauces or some salsa, um, seasonings, rubs, etc. Bootleg products are delicious. I've loved everything I've had from them. Manly Can still got an affiliate link with them. If you're interested in some gifts uh, for the manly man in your life or the manly woman, I mean, no judgment, or maybe just, you know, you want to get some snacks, uh, Manly Cans, you click on that link. And uh, if you make a purchase over here, they kick a few dollars my way. Merch. And you can just straight up buy me a coffee with Venmo. So those are the ways that you can support the show. Um, I kind of want to save the Trump cases update. Um, let's save it. Let's save it for a minute because I need to get warmed up. I need to get warmed up a bit. First, let's talk about Samuel Bankman Freed and fake news. Things get me, fake news gets me fired up. I don't know if y'all have noticed that, but fake news really gets me fired up. Especially fake news that is on our side. Right? They do, they do need womanly cans. That would be cool. Although man cans, like, it just rolls off the tongue better. But, um... So, fake, recent fake news that has been going around is Samuel Bateman freed, you know, after he was found guilty, you may remember, November 3rd, um, seven counts, he was convicted on all the counts that were brought forth at trial, and um, y'all know that I followed this case very closely, um, we've read almost every, fi every filing of note in this case we read on this show, um, this was yet another um, story that the black pillars and doomers on our side told us would never happen, that he would get away with it. Nobody would ever be held accountable for it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Here we are. They were completely wrong. And Samuel Bankman Freed is facing 110 years. Is that it? I think his max is 110 years. Where is it at? He's going to be sentenced in March. March 28th is the hearing. Um, he's been in federal prison since before the trial. Remember, he violated his bond condition several times. Let me uh, control. I think it's 110 years. Yeah, 110 years. The man that the Black Pillars told us would get away with it and never be... Nobody would ever be held to account. He's facing 110 years. And I had somebody comment on me, well, they busted him, but they didn't do... What, did the, what about the other execs? Well, they all got charged and convicted too. They took plea agreements and testified against Samuel Bankman fried All of them. So one of the things that happened just before this trial, you may remember there was a superseding indictment against uh, Samuel Bankman fried that added five more counts. On top of the seven. But the Bahamas, it's, requ it's a requirement of the treaty that the U.S. has with the Bahamas. 
that when they extradite someone who has been indicted in the U.S. but was in the Bahamas at the time of arrest, when they extradite them, you can't add more charges. You have to extradite them on the charges that were present at the time of extradition. If you want to do more than that, you need permission from the Bahamas to do it. Well, Bahamas wouldn't grant that permission. So the U.S. severed those charges they added, and they brought the original seven charges against Samuel Bankman Freed. And at the time that that happened, there was much blackpilling and dooming because they said that the U.S. was trying to cover up campaign fraud and they won't be... Uh... In fact, we covered this on this show at the time that it happened. And there was a specific... Actually, and let me, I'm going to find this. It's worth it. It is worth it. Give me a couple minutes. Okay, there was that. Searching my own X account. And man, I posted about SBF quite a bit. Okay. And grab this. I was going to grab the sp specific letter that they posted because there's a very important line in it that I remember highlighting. Yes. All right, here's one of the posts. This may, this may be it. This may be what. It... Yeah. So there it is. Boom. I got it. So back on August 8th, they severed those, right? Um, this, and the, this letter was sent to the judge by DOJ to let them know, Hey, we plan to seat this superseding indictment next week that will contain the seven charges, the seven counts that the government intends to prove at trial in October, which were the first seven charges that were charged on which he was extradited. The superseding indictment that we brought will make clear that Bankman Freed remains charged with conducting an illegal campaign finance scheme. So all the blackpilling saying that DOJ is hiding that Samuel Bankman-Fried engaged in campaign finance fraud and that the, the DOJ is trying to cover that up doesn't make sense when the, the DOJ is literally sending letters to the judge saying he's charged with doing exactly that <laughs> and remains charged with it. He's charged with the remaining counts charged with con conducting an illegal campaign finance scheme as part of the fraud and money laundering schemes originally charged. They go hand in hand. 
the defendant's use of use of customer deposits to conduct a political influence campaign was part of the wire fraud scheme charged in the original indictment. And as part of the originally charged money laundering scheme, the defendant also concealed the source of his fraudulent proceeds through political straw donations. As the government will outline in its forthcoming motions and eliminate the evidence of the defendant's campaign finance conduct is admissible at trial as direct proof of the trial charges. And that's what they did. At Samuel Bankman Freed's trial, they featured this evidence of campaign finance fraud, and he got convicted on all seven counts. So DOJ brought those charges and brought that same evidence to trial, even though they didn't get permission from the Bahamas for those five additional charges that were within the superseding indictment. So after Samuel Bankman Freed gets convicted... They scheduled the sentencing for March of this year, and they're trying to get the Bahamas to give consent to do another trial on the other five charges. Okay, so if let me put it to you this way: if DOJ was trying to obscure, hide, minimize, cover up the campaign finance fraud aspect of what SBF and FTX did, they could have taken that off-ramp right then and there last summer. They could have taken the off-ramp, not brought the superseding indictment at all, not brought the evidence of the campaign finance fraud to trial, made it a straight-up bank fraud, wire transfer fraud trial, right? not sought to bring a second trial on those five counts that were in the superseding indictment. And we would none of this would have ever been a thing. But the entire reason that we got this news story on December 30th, that Bankman Freed's other tr- next trial, a second trial on those additional five charges that were in the superseding indictment were dropped, the entire reason that that's, that that even exists as a possibility of a story is because DOJ was trying to bring them in the first place, which is the opposite of covering it up. (laughs) So if you uh, go past the headlines that are out there, if you go past the headlines and really zero hedge did a decent job here, they really did. As they as they typically do, although they ha- they're they're usually a bit black pilly. They did a decent job here. They said, "Look, DOJ informed them we're not going to bring a second trial. That second trial included charges of conspiracy to bribe foreign officials, commit bank fraud, and operate an unlicensed money transfer business. The reason is the Bahamas has yet to consent to the fallen crypto king moving forward with the second batch of charges." So if you take the time to go and read the letter that DOJ sent and that telling informing the judge of this, it says, uh, did I include it here? No, I didn't. Let me bring it up. Here it is. Here's the letter that DOJ sent. It's worth reading. Dear Judge Kaplan, the government respectfully submits this letter to, to notice Actually, let me, let me zoom in for you guys a little bit. All right. Let 
respectfully submits this letter to provide notice to the court and the defendant that it does not plan to proceed with a second trial in the above captioned matter. As explained below, much of the evidence that would be offered in a second trial was already offered in the first trial. Again, if DOJ was trying to cover this stuff up, they wouldn't have done that. And can be considered by the court at the defendant's 2024 sentencing. So in March, this same evidence is going to be included in his sentencing to advocate for um, as many of the 110 years as they can advocate for. Given that practical reality and the strong public interest in a prompt resolution of this matter, the government intends to proceed to sentencing on the counts for which the defendant was convicted at trial. On December 9th, 2022, a grand jury returned the indictment of the original indictment in eight counts. Counts one through seven charged the defendant with two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, two counts of wire fraud, conspiracy to commit commodities fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Count eight of the original indictment charged the defendant with conspiracy to make unlawful campaign contributions. The defendant was extradited by the Bahamas in December 2022, but in July 2023, the Bahamas informed the United States that it had not included count eight in the counts for which it had extradited the defendant, and that the Bahamas did not consent to trial on count eight. Thus, the government was prevented from proceeding to trial on count eight due to its binding treaty obligations with the Bahamas. At trial, however, the government offered evidence of the defendant's scheme to make unlawful campaign contributions, both as direct evidence of the seven counts and pursuant to Federal Rule of Evidence 404B. The defendant was convicted on all counts, and because the government also proved that the defendant engaged in a scheme to make unlawful campaign contributions, the court may consider this scheme as relevant conduct at the defendant's sentencing. So again, they had an off-ramp. If they wanted to cover up the campaign finance fraud aspect of this scheme, they didn't have to include that stuff. And they did. They included it in their 404B filings, which is looking to be like a really good decision because now it can be used at sentencing. On March 2028, 2023, the grand jury returned superseding indictment S-522-CR 673, which included five additional counts. The additional counts charged the defendant with conspiracy to bribe foreign officials, conspiracy to commit bank fraud, conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transfer business, and substantive securities fraud and commodities fraud. At the trial, the government introduced evidence of the defendant's conduct underlying the additional counts, either as direct evidence or pursuant to Rule of 404B. The evidence at trial, including witness testimony and documentary evidence, proved that the defendant engaged in the conspiracy to bribe Chinese officials, that he made false statements to the United States Bank to induce it to open a bank account that he used in furtherance of his other fraudulent schemes, that he conspired to operate an unlicensed money laundering or <laughs> unlicensed money transmitting business, and that he committed substantive security frauds and commodities fraud. The court may also consider evidence of the defendant's commission of these crimes at his sentencing. After obtaining the superseding indictment, the United States sent a request to the Bahamas for a waiver of the rule of specialty to permit trial on the additional counts. Okay, so Again, another off-ramp. They didn't have to go down this road, but they decided to lobby the Bahamas to give them consent to go after SBF 
on this other stuff. However, the defendant moved to intervene in the extradition process in the Bahamas, delaying that process. Accordingly, the government consented to the court's severance of the additional counts and proceeded to trial on the seven counts for which the defendant was originally extradited. Here's another off-ramp they could have taken. They could have done this, and then after the defendant filed against them, they could have put off the trial for months, months, even years, trying to get as many charges as possible, and then eventually just wore out the entire system, and SBF, like we would still be talking about how SBF hasn't been brought to trial yet. You know, they could have, you know, the justice delayed is justice denied type thing. They could have delayed, 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 delayed until finally there was some agreement where they never brought him to trial, right? And he pled guilty to a couple minimal charges. That would have been a cover-up. To date, the Bahamas has not agreed to waive the rule of specialty, and the government does not have a timeline when the Bahamas may respond to its request. Nonetheless, as described above, the government proved at trial the conduct underlying the additional counts. Indeed, trial on the additional counts would feature much of the same evidence that was presented at the initial trial. And importantly, a second trial would not affect the United States sentencing guidelines range of the defendant because the court can already consider all of this conduct as relevant conduct when sentencing him for the accounts that he was found guilty of at the initial trial. Accordingly, the government does not intend to proceed to trial on the additional counts. Proceeding with sentencing in March 2024 without the delay that would be caused by a second trial would advance the public's interest in a timely and just resolution of the case, as, quote, delay in sentencing may leave the defendant as well as the victim in limbo concerning the consequences of the conviction. The interest in avoiding delay weighs particularly heavy here, where the judgment will likely include orders of forfeiture and restitution for the victims of the defendant's crimes. The government has concluded that the public interest in a prompt resolution of this matter outweighs the interest in holding a separate trial. So, while there is much blackpilling and dooming over this, I just want you, everyone to remember that there was much blackpilling and dooming back in November of 2022 saying that Samuel Bankman-Fried would never be charged. And then he was. And there was much blackpilling and dooming saying that the other executives would never be charged. And they were. And they flipped on SBF. And there was much blackpilling and dooming saying that we would never find out who all the laundered money went to. And yet we did. And there was much blackpilling and dooming saying that the government would never charge him with campaign finance fraud. And they did. And there was much, much blackpilling and dooming saying, well, they're never going to bring Samuel Bankman fried to trial at all. And they did. And there was much blackpilling and dooming saying that he would never be convicted. And he was. And there was much blackpilling and dooming over the, um, over the bond agreement and how he got to go live at his parents' house. And then he violated his bond two times and was put in prison while awaiting trial. And he was in prison during the trial and he's still in prison today and he will be in prison for decades. He's facing up to 110 years. I'm sure he won't get 110 years, but he's going to get a lot. 
And now there is much blackpilling and dooming over there not being a second trial by the same people who said there would never be a first. He's in federal prison now, and he will be for maybe the rest of his life. So the right question to ask right now, folks, is why won't the government of the Bahamas consent to these new charges? And then the next thing to ask is, what about his parents? Do you guys remember when he was given his bond conditions? I went over what his bond conditions were. And I said that it feels like a trap for his parents. Because all of the devices in the house have key loggers and restricted access. And the devices in the house take a picture of whoever is using the device like every 30 seconds. And I was like, that sounds like a great way to gather evidence on the parents as well as, as well as note or catch SBF violating his bond. I wonder if they gathered any evidence on his parents while he was staying there. Cause there was much blackpilling about how he went to go live at his parents. But some of us were immediately like, Oh, you're putting a highly monitored person who's under intense scrutiny and telling him he has to stay at home with his parents who are very obviously the masterminds of the entire scheme. Paul, Paul Sperry, who is naturally, as he does, taking the black pill line that it's a cover-up, says, hey, well, what, what was risk coming out at trial is how dirty FTX funds were laundered into the DNC through a group called Mind the Gap, which is a Democrat dark money group that was run in whole or in part by SBF's mom. And over on influencewatch.org, which is a pretty useful site, you see that Barbara Freed is listed right here as, as leadership. And it says on here, Barbara Freed founded Mind the Gap alongside Paul Brest and Graham Gottlieb in 2018 to offer a, quote, Moneyball style analytics to political spending. She, ser she served as chairwoman of the board until November 2022 when she stepped down from a position due to financial scandals involving her son, Samuel Bankman Freed. Before creating the organization, Freed was a professor at Stanford, and Barbara is also the mother of crypto billionaire Samuel Bankman Freed. Yeah. It's the parents who are the mastermind of this thing. Not, not this guy. Not this guy. <laughs> so... Anyway, I'm stamping out that fake news because, I mean, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts because, like, there's so many. Uh, it just feels like, like we're not allowed to have a win. 
Like we're not, it's either that we're not allowed to have a win in the info war. Like, I think that's actually, I do think that's part of it where there are people and groups who make sure that we don't count anything as a win. Like it's the not good enough crowd. Um, and I find that really demoralizing and detrimental, but then I also like see some of the narrative value of it. Um, Occasionally, I see some of the narrative shielding value and the kayfabe, but it also, it, it just drives me nuts. I think, I think like one of the, one of the things that gets to me about it is that, um, I guess I can blame my dad. I guess I can blame my dad because um, in in my household growing up, the cardinal sin of all sins in our house was to lie. That was it. Lying was the cardinal sin. No matter what you did, no matter what it was, you better just admit to it because if you lie about it, uh, the punishment would be increased tenfold once you were caught. And my dad was an, was a trained investigator and law enforcement officer. And, um, so lying to him was a, uh, uh, you didn't get by with it. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't get anything past him. Um, so, and I think that's what really bothers me about fake news is that they're in, Implicit in it is a lie. They're a falsehood. And so it it really rubs something internal for me. It rubs it the wrong way. It, it like feels like a violation. Uh so and also I just wanna I wanna spread positivity. So I'm watch watch what'll happen. Watch. It's sentencing. Watch SBF, no matter what his sentence is, no matter what, the same people who said he would never be caught, never be charged, never be convicted, will then say that the sentence isn't good enough. Just like they did with Maxwell. All right, there were a few rumble rants, and I appreciate them. What I need to catch them. R.L. Skeeter, thank you very much. Wish you a... Wish you a prosperous 2024. Thank you for your dedicated work. Man, I need to do more work. Life's been getting in the way. I've been missing doing these streams. It's been kind of frustrating. Thank you very much. That's very generous of you. JB Rao, thank you. Running wire, so I'm lurking today. You must be an electrician. I was a cable dog for a while. Have a great have a great day, man. And thank you for uh thank you for listening while you're working. I know what it's like to uh, need to throw headphones in or throw a radio on while you're doing construction work or whatever kind of work and uh, how it helps make the day go by and make the, jo the job go by. So I, I appreciate that I can fill that role. Maggie, thank you very much. Oh, playing with a new puppy. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, my dogs are uh well let's take a break from the the news for just a moment. I'll show you something.
I gotta I gotta set it up first. We'll have a we'll have a short little story time for just a moment. Uh where'd it go? Where'd it go? I'll find this. For people listening to the podcast version, they'll they'll miss out on this. I'm sorry. All right, first I got to download this short video real quick. So over the um over the break, I've been um trying to diagnose a problem with my old Subaru. My um it wasn't my first car. It was my first Subaru. Um but I actually I picked it out for my sister. My sister is 2 years younger than me. And um when we were in high school, I already had a Jeep and my parents wanted a car for my sister and we they were shopping around and I was a, I'd become a Subaru fan because of the world rally championship and, um, because of, uh, watching, watching them win the world rally championship. And so let me get this open. Come on, will you play for me up there? So I advocated for my parents to go and uh, get my sister a Subaru. Why will it not play for me up there? I may have to do this a different way. Um, I advocate for my family, my parents to get my sister a, a Subaru uh, because they're so safe and all-wheel drive. And I was just like, this is it. So, And it just so happened that a teacher at um, our high school, at our high no, a teacher at the elementary school who commuted a lot had a 99 Subaru that she had owned for a year and she was going, she was changing jobs and she wasn't going to be commuting and she wasn't going to be taking the same route and she didn't need that car anymore. So she made my parents a really good deal on it. And um, I'm trying to figure out how I can play this for y'all. Um, Where did I might have to convert it first. So anyway, so I advocate for my parents to get this car for my sister. I have no idea. They made me pay for my car. I had to, I had to buy my car from them. I have no idea if they even made my sister pay them for this car. You know how it is with, with girls. Sometimes parents give them deals. You know that? Um, so anyway, they got her this car and it ended up being um, her car in high school. And then for a little while, it was my little brother's car. And then I had a Jeep, um, my second Jeep that I loved very much. And I traded my Jeep to my little brother to get this Subaru. So all three kids ended up with this Subaru at one point or another. And then after I had it, I went and uh, I used, I drove it for a long time. And then one day I fell in love with a girl here in Virginia who I met online. And I convinced myself, I, I, well, I knew 
I knew for sure that I had I had to move to Virginia to see if she was the one. So I loaded up everything I owned into this Subaru and drove from Texas to Virginia and moved my life here and um, drove it here for many years. And then um, we had kids. And at some point, the Subaru wasn't big enough for our kids because we had kids and we had dogs. Um, not the same dogs I have now. And, um, so this car got set aside. There it goes. Now it's working. All right. So this car got set aside. And so it's kind of just been sitting off to the side and it's been in the back of my driveway. And over the Christmas break, the local red coats, i.e. city inspectors and code enforcers, decided to come on my property and walk 45 feet from the street to the back of my driveway where this car has been sitting happily for three and a half years and write me a notice that if I didn't get the plates on it, I didn't get Virginia plates on it and get them current and get an inspection sticker on it, they were going to tow it, i.e. they were going to steal it from me. And um, I was so pissed. <laughs> I still am pissed that this thing is on my property at the very end of my driveway. It's been sitting there for three and a half years. And then the local redcoats come by to steal it from me. So anyway, it lit a fire under me that I better go and get this thing running again. So it'd been sitting for um, three and a half years, which shame on me for allowing that to happen. And um, I spent Christmas break working on it and ended up tracing some, um, some issues with it. And, um, got it running again. And I'm very, very happy about that. And, um, yeah, call me bastards. That's right. Um, so anyway, it didn't have that many problems, but I did end up replacing some relays and replacing the fuel pump, which was the biggest job in it. And it turns out my new puppies are shop dogs. And so I'm really happy about that. Cause my dogs, they were all about this. They were like in and out of the car. They were helping me, helping me. <laughs> in quotation marks and um they uh they were all about it they were like we got to be they wanted to be next to me the entire time i was working on it and then the best part about it was my 10 year old son um got really interested in it and he helped me diagnose problems with it so you know replaced battery and some relays and replaced the fuel pump which was the real issue with why it wasn't starting and was also the issue i'm sure back with um the uh, uh, why it was run, starting to run a little rough before I let it sit, and we got a we bought a used another used Subaru. We bought another used Subaru that was big enough for our family, an Outback, which is my main ride. So anyway, I love it because I have. I mean, I literally have the high my high school car, my sister's high school car, my brother's high school car. Um, it's a '99 Subaru Legacy SUS, which is the 2.5 liter, so it has a little bit more power. And, um, it's my project car and I'm really, I'm enjoying working on it. And, uh, I think I just broke my browser by, uh, playing the video, but <laughs> that's my story time. Bit. That's my story time. Let me give it a minute and, uh, see if brave will unlock itself and then we'll get on to more news. <laughs> Come on, Brave. Yeah, it's it's such BS that they 
can do that. I'm still irritated. I'm very irritated about it. Very irritated. Well, Brave is locked up for me, but it says I'm still streaming to you guys, so that's good. Hopefully, it's still going out to everybody. If not, then I guess I just uh, I broke the stream for a puppy and Subaru video. Which, hey, that's there are there. That's not too bad. That's a decent. That's a decent reason to uh, to break the stream, showing an old Subaru and two puppies. <laughs> Sweet. Well, it says I'm still going out to you guys, even though the browser is completely locked up for me. So that's good. Um, while it's locked up, if you would like to support the uh, Subaru Repair Project, you can visit my affiliate links. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to need to uh, do head gaskets pretty soon. Uh now there's no knocking. That was my main fear when I was after it set for so long. My main fear was that I was going to start up, and it would start knocking, and um, and I'd just, you know, that was my main fear. I was I was terrified of that. So, um, but it didn't. It actually sounds really good, really smooth. Um, so and there's Brave catching up. Um, I was uh, I was really glad that it ran really smooth and. Uh, I think I'm going to need to replace the gas tank at some time because there's some rust on the in the gas tank. Uh, but I'll let that go for now. Um, but anyway, at some point I'm going to need to I'm going to need to pull the engine, do head gaskets, and uh, then I can get another hundred thousand miles out of it. It's got 188 thousand miles. Um, if I do if I do the head gaskets, which I can totally do on my own, um, I can totally do it. Um, Subarus are really easy to work on. So, um, if I, I'll get another hundred thousand miles out of it and I don't know, I don't, I plan on driving the car for as long as I possibly can until it falls completely apart. I love it so much. All right. Thank you for enjoying me with my story time. Let's go on to another story of corruption in us government. So yeah, you're back. All of a sudden it started working for me again. Sweet. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about Menendez. That's right, Freethink Mind. I have three of them currently. I have three of them. All of them bought used. One of them's a unicorn. One of them was a unicorn. It was a super sweet used car deal that was... We wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. Um... But yeah, I love them so much. And uh, my dogs are doing well. Thank you. Thank you, MZ Nocera. Thank you. Um, yeah, dude, my dogs are adorable and they're doing really well. Uh, the training is going awesome and they are, they're, they're just wonderful dogs. Um, so we, we looked around for a long time for, uh, for those pups and they were pretty, they were pretty damn wild when we got them. We were there for a while, there for a couple of weeks, you we were like, oh no, we may have messed up. <laughs> but um, we've been able to shape them into 
with the help of a trainer, we've been able to shape them into some really good dogs. Okay. Okay. They are, yes, E.H. Kyle, they are scallywags. Especially the yellow one. Um, Hercules, he is very mischievous. Very mischievous. But other than, but they're also super sweet. Um, okay, let's talk about the news. That's what y'all are really here for. Not my not my Subaru and puppy stories. Okay, so we got another. We've already had one superseding indictment of Robert Menendez, Senator Menendez. We've already had one superseding indictment of him. Now we've got another one. And I love superseding indictments. Somewhere I have a bumper sticker that a, a GART attendee gifted me. Um, I have it on my shelf, I think. Um, and it says, I love, I heart superseding indictments. And I do. So here we have another one of Senator Menendez and Nadine Menendez and the co-conspirators while Hannah, Jose Uribe, not the baseball player, and Fred Davies. The new indictment charges receiving bribes from Cotter or Qatar. Menendez was a senator for sale. How many other senators are also for sale? And I feel like that's what's being highlighted here. I don't think it's a coincidence that Senator Menendez is being charged and highlighted. Um, right now, I think it is very much by design. There are some competing theories about it right now. There's a black pill theory, of course. There always is. Um, my personal white pill theory is because they're highlighting the Bidens being for sale. And they're highlighting other senators being for sale. And they're causing the American people to ask questions during the election year. Think, of, think about this. How bad is it optically to have a prominent senator highlighted for taking bribes from another nation, two nations, while you have Joe Biden under impeachment inquiry for accepting bribes through his son and brother to influence U.S. policy while he was a senator and VP and then now president. Like, if you could design, when would be the best time to bring charges against a senator for FARA violations and bribery by foreign governments? The best time would, to do it would be right now, while the buying crime family is in focus as being for sale. It's like DOJ is also saying, by the way, the senators are for sale too. I love it. So anyway, this new indictment of um, new superseding indictment of uh, Menendez, we're going to take a look at it real quick. We're just going to look at the new stuff for for Cotter. I already have a thread up for the superseding indictment. The last one that happened on October 12th. If you're interested, I go through the entire superseding indictment point by point if you want to do that. But this morning, we're going to read just the parts that feature Cotter. Okay. Good morning, Mo. Good morning. Uh, thank you for listing BB's um, car freshener down below mine so that you have to hit the down arrow to find it. Good move, friend. Good move. Um, okay, so Menendez, this right here. Now they've what they've added is right here that uh, Menendez power and influence as a senator. Wait, 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 I need to skip back. Okay, Menendez and Nadine Menendez agreed to and did accept hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes in exchange for using Menendez's power and influence as a senator, of which it was immense, 
He was, um, welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> Good morning, Zilosophy. <laughs> Good morning, Razor Sharp. Um, agreed, free think mind. Um, <laughs> remember, Senator Menendez is on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and other committees, but he's he's a powerful senator um, and a disgusting one. So, but he had immense power to influence U.S. policy from where he stood in the Senate, and um, they bribed him to seek influence on behalf of Egypt and Qatar. They add this in with Egypt. We've already gone over the Egypt stuff. I'm going to scroll down to where it starts the Qatar stuff or Qatar. Qatar, Qatar. I don't know which one's right. It was fun going through this indictment in that thread that I posted uh, back in October. That was a lot of fun. Because this guy's stupid. He's so stupid. I mean, just just blatant corruption. Okay, here we go. I think I think this is the first mention of Cotter. Is way right down here. Yeah, I remember this from the thread. Okay, from at least, this is what they've added, okay? So from at least in or about December 2020 to at least in or about 2023, Robert Menendez, the defendant, accepted things of value from Fred Davies, the defendant, knowing that Davies expected Menendez in exchange to influence the pending federal prosecution of Davies and to use his influence and power and breach his official duty to benefit the government of Cotter and Davies. Specifically, Menendez agreed to and did attempt to influence the pending federal prosecution of Davies in exchange for cash, furniture, and gold bars that Davies provided to Menendez and Nadine Menendez, a.k.a. Nadine Arslanian. Moreover, when he accepted at least certain of those things of value from Davies, Menendez knew that Davies also expected Menendez in exchange to take action to benefit the government of Qatar and thereby benefit Davies, who was seeking millions of dollars in investment, from a fund with ties to the government of Qatar. Remember those gold bars? Well, it turns out some of those gold bars were given to him, not just on behalf of influence for Egypt or in furtherance of a scheme to get gain influence on behalf of Egypt, but also behalf of Qatar. From at least in or about December 2020 to at least in or about early 2022, Menendez agreed to attempt to influence and attempted to influence the pending federal prosecution of Fred Davies, the defendant, in exchange for cash, furniture, gold bars, da 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 including by recommending that the president, Joe Biden, nominate a candidate, candidate for U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey, who Menendez believed could be influenced by Menendez with respect to Davies' case, and by attempting to influence the U.S. attorney's office or the District of New Jersey to act favorably in Davies' case. So, good old boy network. In or about December 2020, Robert Menendez, the defendant, met with an individual who would later be nominated to be the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey. 
herein candidate or official three. The latter after official three Senate confirmation. So this person was confirmed. At the time of the meeting, the candidate was an attorney in private practice, and the purpose of his meeting with Menendez was to consider potential candidacy for U.S. Attorney in New Jersey. In that meeting, Menendez criticized the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey's prosecution of Fred Davies, the defendant, and said that he hoped that the candidate would look into Davies' case if the candidate became the U.S. Attorney. Menendez did not mention any other case in the meeting. After the meeting, the candidate informed Menendez that he might have to recuse himself from the Davies prosecution as a result of a matter he had handled in private practice involving Davies. Interesting. Menendez subsequently informed the candidate that Menendez would not put forward the candidate's name to the White House for a recommendation to be nominated by the president for the position of U.S. attorney. Menendez also told the candidate that Menendez would be recommending a different individual for the position. So what this tells me is that this candidate person who Menendez tried to influence is a witness in this case, right? Instead of the candidate, Robert Witt Menendez, instead of the candidate, Robert Menendez, the defendant recommended a different individual for U.S. attorney. Fred Davies, the defendant, believed that different individual would likely be sympathetic to him. In or about the spring of 2021, a series of news reports critical of the other individual were published. Oh, this is this is so dirty. During that time period, in or about the spring of 2021, an individual, the advisor, associated with Robert Menendez, the defendant, spoke to the candidate and discussed, among other things, the possibility of the candidate recusing from the prosecution of Fred Davies. Subsequently, the advisor informed Menendez that the advisor believed that the candidate would likely not have to recuse from the prosecution of Davies. On or about May 2nd, 2021, in connection with Menendez's potential recommendation of the candidate, the advisor texted Menendez, quote, I think if you call the candidate, you'll be comfortable with what he says. Ooh. Following the event set forth in paragraph 49, Menendez, the defendant, recommended to the president that the candidate be nominated for the position of U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey. On or about October 17, 2021, Robert Menendez and Nadine Menendez returned from a trip in which they traveled to Qatar, as well as to Egypt, as described in paragraph 37F, landing at John F. Kennedy International Airport. Upon their arrival, a driver for Fred Davies, the defendant, picked up Menendez and Nadine Menendez from the airport and drove them to their home in New Jersey. The next day, Menendez performed a web search for how much is one kilo of gold worth. Following the recommendation by Robert Menendez, the defendant of the candidate, as described in, February, in paragraph 50, the candidate was nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. So let's look up who this is. Uh, U.S. Oh, I can't spell New Jersey. New Jersey. Biden. I should have put confirmed instead of approved. Let's just see what happens. This is 10. Okay, this is probably going to be him. 
Senate confirmed. Let's do this. December 28th. Senate confirms Biden's pick as U.S. Attorney for New Jersey. That'd be Philip R. Selinger. Selinger sailed through the voice vote from the nominated by Biden in October. Selinger is a co-managing partner of New Jersey office of Greenberg Torg LLP. We have heard of them. I think, don't they have Hunter? Isn't that where Hunter Biden's attorneys are out of? I feel like I recognize them from Hunter Biden. I feel like I do. I could be wrong. Giuliani has been one of their clients. I feel like, where have they come up before? They've come up recently in some other case. Anyway. Let's see. Both of New Jersey's U.S. Senators, Democrats Cory Booker, Booker and Robert Menendez, supported their nomination. Biden, the vice president, was a special guest at a fundraiser for Selinger held for Menendez at his home. Mm-hmm. I want to see if this is the same guy right here. Biden just nominated longtime lawyer, Democrat donor for U.S. attorney. Same guy, right? Yeah, Philip R. Selinger. Oh, it's a swampy world out there. Okay. Yep, that's him. Shortly after swearing in on the basis of information that Official 3 provided to the U.S. Department of Justice to determine whether a recusal was warranted, Official 3 was informed... So this is Selinger. Selinger is now Official 3, okay? So shortly after being sworn in... On the basis of information that he provided to the DOJ to determine... So this guy, this Selinger went to the DOJ this, with the information saying, hey, as an attorney, I represented Fred Davies or I worked in some capacity for Fred Davies in some litigation. Do I need to recuse myself from the prosecution that this office has against him? Okay. Official 3 was informed that he was recused from the prosecution of Davies. So we got the DOJ said, yeah, you need to recuse. Official 3 and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey implemented that recusal. After Selinger became the U.S. Attorney, the following events took place, among others. A. On or about December 23, 2021, the trial of Davies, which had previously been scheduled for January 2022, was adjourned for reasons related to COVID-19 pandemic. Later that day, Davies texted Nadine Menendez, the defendant, and asked how Robert Menendez, who had recently sustained a shoulder injury, was doing. Nadine responded that Robert was doing better, having heard that the trial date was adjourned. And that Menendez was, quote, fixated on it. Good. I don't want him to be upset over it. This is not his fault. He was amazing in all he did. He's an amazing friend and as loyal as they come. How is the shoulder? Is he sleeping? Let me know if I can get him a recliner. It helped me sleep. Davies thereafter provided a recliner to Menendez. 
Whoa, this U.S. attorney needs to be like, this U.S. attorney needs to be gone. This guy needs to be charged or at least fired as a U.S. attorney. On or about January 21st, 2022, Menendez called Official 3, that would be U.S. Attorney Selinger, and asked the identity of Official 3's first assistant U.S. Attorney. That's Official Number 4. As a result of Official 3's recusal, Official 4 had supervisory responsibility over the prosecution of Davies. On or about January 22nd, 2022, Menendez and Davies called Davies' lawyer to complain that the lawyer had not been aggressive enough in attempting to get Davies' case dismissed. On or about January 24th, 2022, Davies' driver exchanged two brief calls with Nadine Menendez. She then texted Davies, writing, Thank you, Christmas in January. Mm-hmm. Davies' driver's fingerprints were later found on an envelope containing thousands of dollars of cash recovered from the residence of the Menendez in New Jersey. This envelope also bore Davies' DNA and was marked with Davies' return address. <laughs> Golly, this, some of these, this sounds so stupid. Enter about the early afternoon of January 24th, 2022. Approximately two hours after Nadine Menendez had texted Davies, thanking him and writing Christmas in January, Menendez called official four, so that'd be the assistant to the U.S. Attorney Selinger, in a call lasting for approximately 15 seconds. This was Menendez's first phone call to Official 4. On or about January 29, 2022, several days after Nadine Menendez had texted Davies, thanking him and writing Christmas in January, Menendez performed a Google search for Kilo of Gold Price. On or about January 31st, 2022, Menendez again called Official 4 in a call lasting for approximately one minute and 24 seconds. Within minutes of the end of this call with Official 4, Menendez called Davies. Between approximately in or about December 2021 and February 2022, Menendez directed the advisor to ask Official 3, who was at the time the U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey, why he had recused himself from the prosecution of Davies when Menendez had previously believed that he would not recuse himself. The advisor declined to do so. Late Later, in or about March 2022, the advisor informed Menendez that he was planning to have lunch with Official 3. That would be Selinger. Menendez told the advisor, in sum and in substance, that he was frustrated with the way the U.S. Attorney's Office was handling the prosecution of Davies and further told the advisor to tell Official 3 to give Davies, quote, all due process. Notwithstanding that, as Menendez knew, Official 3 was recused from the matter. The advisor had the lunch with Official 3, but did not pass on the message from Menendez. On or about March 30th, 2022, Nadine Menendez met for lunch with Davies. Following the lunch, Nadine Menendez texted Davies, Thank you, Fred. Prayer sign XO heart. The next day, Nadine Menendez met with a jeweler who was friends with Davies and Wael Hanna. The defendant, um, yeah, yeah, and texted with Davies about the fact that she was meeting the jeweler. 
At that meeting, Nadine Menendez provided the jeweler two one-kilogram gold bars to be sold. At that time, the spot market price for gold was over $60,000 per kilogram, so $120,000 in gold. Nadine Menendez falsely told the jeweler in some substance that the gold came from her mother. A court-authorized search of Nadine Menendez's phone later found a photograph taken the day of Nadine Menendez's meeting with the jeweler of two one-kilogram gold bars marked with serial numbers indicating they had previously been possessed by Davies. A portion of this photograph is below. So, like, um, I don't know if you guys remember. There was a theft of gold bars and uh, from, I want to say, was it from Menendez or from Davies? can't remember one or the other and in the process of that they reported this theft to the police and then they um the people who robbed them got caught all but one of them got caught um and police haven't identified who the uh the one that got away was so i don't know maybe they did catch him and he's in witness protection i don't know but as part of the reporting of the stolen bars they had to tell the police the serial numbers and then now that these these gold bars have come up as being uh, used in bribery of Menendez, the police have this report or investigators have this report um, with these serial numbers on it that proves who they really belong to. So the chain of custody on these gold bars is well established by the defendants themselves. And it's just hilarious to me. Like <laughs> how it, how it came back to bite them. Um, all right, official three and official four did not pass on to the prosecution team the fact that Robert Menendez had contacted them as described above in the paragraphs, and they did not treat the case differently as a result of the above described contacts. In or about April 2022, Davies uh, pled guilty pursuant to a plea agreement that provided for a probationary sentence. So that trial that Menendez was trying to get thrown out, the case, uh, Davies took a plea agreement. All right, next section. From in or about 2021 through in or about 2023, this past year, Robert Menendez, the defendant, accepted payment from Fred Davies, the defendant, knowing that Davies expected Menendez in exchange to use his influence and power and breach his official duty to assist Davies, who was seeking a multi-billion dollar investment from an investment company with ties to the government of Qatar. And we're calling it the Qatari Investment Company, um, but it's one. It's a company owned by one of the royal family members in Qatar. So it's not just like loose ties. It's a royal family member. Specifically, Menendez accepted, among other things, at least certain of the same cash and gold bars described in paragraphs forty-six through fifty-four. So that means that. The cash and the gold bars that we went over in this in this in the first superseding indictment weren't just for favors to Egypt. They were for favors to Egypt and to Qatar. Or to buy influence, whatever, however you want to say it. Um Menendez accepted this these 
um, this exchange of gold bars and cash and understood that it was to seek to induce the Qatari investment company to invest in Davies, including by taking action favorable to the government of Qatar. During the pendency of his criminal prosecution in the District of New Jersey, Fred Davies sought financial uh, sought financing for a real estate project in New Jersey and with, with which he was involved. In about June 2021, Robert Menendez introduced Davies to an investor who is a member of the Qatari royal family and the principal of the Qatari investment company. So I found this pretty interesting because it wasn't Davies who came to Menendez with the royal family investor. Robert Menendez already had a relationship with this member of the Qatar royal, Qatari royal family and then brought that guy to Fred Davies as an investor. So that's a little bit different because what else, what, uh, what else? Um, one, how does Menendez know this Qatari for Royal family member? How many other people has he introduced this person to? And is this a scheme he usually runs? Like, does he, you know, typically it works the other way around, or I mean, I don't know, but it seems to me like it usually works the other way, way around. You have the, the, the person who wants the investment goes to a political official and tries to get them, tries to buy influence with them, right? But this is the inverse of that. The political official has a relationship with the foreign investor and is looking for people that guy can invest into, and then he's going to take a cut. So he's the, the, the Senator, Senator Menendez is playing fixer here, not the other way around. While the Guattari investment company was considering the potential investment into the real estate development owned by Fred Davies, the defendant, Robert Menendez made public, made multiple public statements supporting the government of Cotter. So this is 2021. Okay. Remember this is 2021. Menendez provided Davies with these statements so that Davies could share them with the Qatari investor and a Qatari government official associated with the Qatari investment company. For example, on or about August 20th, 2021, Menendez used an encrypted messaging application to send Davies the text of a press release in which Menendez praised the government of Qatar and several minutes later used the application to text Davies, quote, you might want to send to them, I am just about to release. Shortly thereafter, the Qatari investor messaged Qatari official one, I received copy from F, F being Fred Davies, I'm sure. The next month, in or about September 2021, Robert Menendez and Fred Davies, the defendants, attended a private event in Manhattan hosted by the Qatari government. Several days later, on or about September 27, 2021, Davies sent Menendez via an encrypted messaging application photographs of a computer monitor depicting luxury wristwatches. The prices uh, were ranging from $10,000 to $24,000 and asked Menendez, how, how about one of these? The photographs are depicted below. Two days later, on or about September 29, 2021, Davies used the same encrypted messaging application to text Menendez a link to a website tracking a Senate resolution supportive of Cotter, which reflected that one day earlier, the resolution had been introduced and referred to the, the, Senate, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, 
which Menendez was on. Now, that was September 29, 2021. I want to point something out to you guys. From March 10th, 2022, Joe Biden designates Cotter as a major non-NATO ally. New York Times, Biden designates, designates Cotter as a major non-NATO ally. The move clears the way for greater security cooperation and investment at a time when President Biden is seeking help boosting natural gas supplies in Europe. From January 31st, 2022. Back to the indictment. As described in paragraph 51, on or about October 17th, 2021, so three months, two and a half months before this, and several weeks after the messages from Fred Davies, Robert Menendez, following the return of Menendez and Menendez from their trip to Cotter and Egypt, Davies' driver picked them up at the airport, and the next day is when Menendez searched for how much is one kilo of gold worth. In or about November 2021, the Qatari investment company was still considering a, the proposed investment in the real estate project of Fred Davies. That month, on or about November 4th, 2021, less than three weeks after Robert Menendez, the defendant performed the web search described in paragraph 59. Davies used an encrypted messaging application to send Menendez an update on the proposed Senate resolution supportive of Cotter. On or about January 4th, 2022, in advance of a planned tripped, trip by Fred Davies, the defendant to meet the Qatari investor in London, Robert Menendez used an encrypted messaging application to text the Qatari investor and Davies, quote, Greetings. I understand my friend is going to visit with you on the 15th of the month. I hope that this will result in the favorable and mutual beneficial agreement that you have been that you have been both engaged in discussing. On or about March 31st, 2022, the day of the sale by Nadine Menendez of the gold bars described in paragraph 53, Robert Menendez and Fred Davies met for dinner. That evening, Nadine Menendez texted Robert, quote, is it just you? Fred and the Qataris in the private room this entire time? And Menendez replied in the affirmative. In or about early May 2022, so this would be after this has occurred, where Biden designates that the nation of Qatar is a major non-NATO ally, and after January. So this, think about this. This news story from New York Times Um was January 31st, 2022, so that's 15, 16 days after the meeting in London between the investor and Fred Davies and Menendez. In or about early May 2022, Qatari Official 1, at the request of Senator Robert Menendez, provided a close relative of Nadine Menendez with tickets to the 2022 Formula One Grand Prix race held in Miami, Florida. Boom! Formula One is actually in my show in a legitimate way. I didn't just force it into it. 
<laughs> we finally have Formula One being mentioned in an indictment that I'm reading on this show. <laughs> oh, and it's the worst race, too. <laughs> it's like the worst race. Oh, the Miami Grand Prix is such crap. It's so bad, guys. I'm so embarrassed by it. It's a terrible race. Everybody hates it. They gifted them tickets to the, the crappiest, most boring, ugliest F1 race on the entire calendar. No, R.L. Skeeter, I did not edit the document. <laughs> Over on uh, Foxhole, Opatriot55, thank you for the phone. And filter dog, thank you for the shades. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, good point re raising that, uh, filter dog. Menin the Menendez daughter, Alicia Menendez, is um, isn't she on MSNBC? I think I think she's on MSNBC. Menendez. Uh, her parents are Bob Menendez and Jane Jacobson. Let's see. Yeah, MSNBC. Since 2020, she has hosted American Voices with Alicia Menendez on Saturdays and Sundays on MSNBC. She was formerly a correspondent on PBS. And on Fusion, and prior to that, she was a host and producer at Huffington Post Live. She is the daughter of United States Senator Bob Menendez. I wonder if it's like a token job. You know, like, is she actually good at what she does, or does she have a job there as a talking head so that MS, as a way that, like, MSNBC gets... Like, is there some sort of other element to that relationship? I don't know. I've never watched her. Just kind of wonder if it's like a handout job to a family member of a senator in order to get, um, in order to get information and influence with that senator. Leaks, advanced stories, things like that. I don't know. Philosophy, thank you. I will throw that in the Subaru Parts Fund. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, all right, here we go. In or about May 2022, following a meeting between Robert Menendez and Fred Davies and the Qatari Investor and Qatari Official One in New Jersey, the Qatari Investment Company signed a letter of intent to enter into a joint venture with a company controlled by Davies. Thereafter, Davies provided Menendez with at least one gold bar. Three days after the signing of the letter of intent for the Qatari Investment Company's um, investment with Davies, on or about May 26, 2022, Menendez, Davies, and Nadine met for dinner in Edgewater, New Jersey at approximately 7.30 p.m. Later that evening, at approximately 10.30 p.m., Menendez performed a Google search for one kilo gold price. 
As noted above, in or about June 2022, a court-authorized search of the residence of the Menendezes revealed, among other things, approximately two one-kilogram gold bars and nine one-ounce gold bars that had serial numbers indicating they had previously been possessed by Fred Davies. The search also revealed that the residence contained, among other things, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, including approximately 10 envelopes of cash with tens of thousands of dollars bearing the fingerprints and or DNA of Davies. One of those envelopes also bore, in addition to the fingerprints of Davies, the fingerprints of Menendez. In or about 2023, the Qatari investment company entered into a joint venture with a company controlled by Fred Davies, the defendant, and invested tens of millions of dollars into the project. Thereafter, Robert Menendez continued to receive things of value from the Qatari investment company. In particular, in or about May 2023, the Qatari investor um, caused four tickets for the 2023 Formula One Grand Prix held in Miami to be provided to the relatives. So, they sent them to the shittiest race on the Formula One calendar not once, but twice, two years in a row. Terrible. Terrible. Honestly, I would be insulted if I was gifted race tickets to the Miami Grand Prix. (laughs) Oh, Filter Dog said that Alicia Menendez has been filling in for Nicole Wallace the past few weeks. That seems ill-timed, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. IKW Cross, thank you very much for the Subaru Parts Fund. Thank you. NC Suburban Mom, thank you. $20, I'm going to put that towards Apple Crisp. Yes. That sounds like a great idea. At Alt- <laughs> Dak, $5 for the Subaru and $5 for the guitar amp. Oh, yeah. One day I'll buy it an amp for that elect- that guitar over there, that eight string one day. It doesn't seem quite the priority, right? It's not, it's not a priority right now. I may need to have a midlife crisis soon so I can go out and buy tons of Subaru parts and another amp and a pedal board and other things. I asked my wife for permission to have a, midlife crisis in 2024, but her eyes told me not a good idea. Oh, well at all times relevant to this indictment, Robert Menendez was required, was required as a U.S. Senator to file annual financial disclosure forms listing among other things, income received by him or his spouse in each calendar year at all times relevant to this indictment. Menendez did not disclose, among other things, the receipt of any payments towards the Mercedes-Benz convertible um, or the receipt of any cash or the gold bars or the Miami Grand Prix tickets for the relative. Menendez and Nadine Menendez seek to cover up bribery scheme. Let me see. I think we've already read this. ISG Halal. Yeah, I think we've already... Okay, now we're back to the stuff that was already in the original indictment. Yep. So, 
Um, great stuff. That hey, brain brain strain. That that could be possible that the event in Miami was also some sort of meetup for another exchange or whatever. Um, that is possible. Also, it says for an, a relative, right? The tickets for for a relative. Did Alicia Menendez go to that Grand Prix? Let's just look for let's just for fun. Let's just look. That's But I probably have to go through her social media. Where does she live? Does she live in New Jersey, New York area? I wonder. Hey, look. In 2015, she married Carlos Priodio in Coral Gables, Florida. His grandfather was the president of Cuba. From 1948 to 1952, she lived in Miami before moving to New Jersey with her husband and two children. Boom. Guys, I bet she's the relative. There's a good chance that Alicia Menendez of MSNBC, the daughter of Bob Menendez, is the relative mentioned in this indictment who received Grand Prix tickets. There's a good chance. It's not for sure, but there's a good chance. We'd have to, I wonder if scrolling her social media, we would find images of her at the Grand Prix. She opened her show in September saying that she uh, recused herself from coverage of her father's criminal indictment and she can't comment on the case. Okay, I wonder. I... That's true that she should have media pass. Yeah, that's a good point, Master, but there were four tickets. Not So I wonder if she had a pass, but um, she wanted to bring her, her friends or her family. Or maybe she was there and she had four friends she wanted to. It doesn't matter whether she needed the tickets or not, you know. Like she personally needed them. She could have gotten in with media pass, but then she had four other people she wanted to bring. Interesting. Anyway, all right, to wrap this up, Ezra Cohen-Watnick posted this video of Trump, this flashback, unmute tab, there we go. Trump, making a lot of sense. Oh, wait. Y'all are going to have to be able to hear that. Uh, let's see. There we go. The nation of Qatar, unfortunately, has historically been a funder of terrorism. 
at a very high level. And in the wake of that conference, nations came together and spoke to me about confronting Qatar over its behavior. So we had a decision to make. Do we take the easy road, or do we finally take a hard but necessary action? We have to stop the funding of terrorism. I decided, along with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, our great generals and military people, the time had come to call on Qatar to end its funding. They have to end that funding and its extremist ideology in terms of funding. I want to call on all of the nations to stop immediately supporting terrorism. Stop teaching people to kill other people. Stop filling their minds with hate and intolerance. I won't name other countries, but we are not done solving the problem, but we will solve that problem. Have no choice. This is my great priority because it is my first duty as President to keep our people safe. Defeating ISIS and other terror organizations is something I have emphasized all during my campaign and right up until the present. To do that, stop funding, stop teaching hate, and stop the killing. For Qatar, we want you back among the unity of responsible nations. We ask Qatar and other nations in the region to do more and do it faster. And the other thing about this superseding indictment of Menendez is that Qatar, Qatar, or Qatar, has already been in the news over the past several months because of their relationship with Hezbollah and Hamas and their funding of terror. And, I mean, they've been, they've been highlighted as one of the most prominent nations when it comes to funding terrorism. Now, they've already, that's been known, but because of the Israel-Hamas conflict, it's a major component of all the coverage of the israel Hamas conflict. And then here you have an indictment of a U.S. senator who is getting money from them as well in order to favor U.S. policy or in, in an effort to, to get favorable treatment for them in U.S. policy, which, as I pointed out, they got. They got. So MAGA Keys Girl gives me $5 rant for Miami Grand Prix tickets. Well, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> Thank you. Brogent says, goes to, good, nice to see you, Brogent. Says, goes to Patrick Henry, talks about how Prince Ben Salman and the other Middle Eastern leaders told Trump how Qatar was a backbone of terrorist funding in their region. That's right. And I had the thought, I, don't, I haven't quite like material, I haven't quite like, it's not fully formed. But I was thinking about how I wonder if Qatar, if if Qatar is um, 
I wonder if one of the things going on in the Middle East and, and the relationship change in the region is that Saudi Arabia is going to be the one to wield the the enforcement against Qatar. They've had a falling out before, uh, just a few, several years ago. And I wonder if, um, in fact, I think it was right after the cleanup operation in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia and Qatar had a falling out for a time and weren't on speaking terms. But I wonder if instead of the U.S. coming down hard on Qatar, which would cause them to lose face in the Muslim region, um, I wonder if Saudi Arabia, instead being the ones to put pressure on them to stop funding, would be the more effective uh, means of leveraging them. I'm not sure. Like I said, I haven't fully formed it, but it, you know, you think about like, how do we get Cotter to stop funding terror like they do? You don't want the U.S. to go in there and like, like, is it? Is should the, should the effort come from the United States or should the effort come from other regional players? And I think the latter is is best. Um. Yeah, that's right, Jason of GTA. Thank you for reminding me of that. Saudi Arabia, when they opened their anti-terrorism center with Trump, named Qatar as the biggest problem. That's right. I'd forgotten that. So, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that we have a U.S. senator. This coming, this news coming out right now. Like the like the thing with SBF, it just there's some things where the timing, if not planned, is advantageous to us. Right. Seems like a it's a good time for this to be out. Okay. Um, quick update on some of Trump's cases and things going on with that, I think is what we'll do next. Oh, well, actually, let me grab this real real quick. Something that's probably gonna fly under the radar just a little bit is um prominent GOP lobbyist and 2016 Trump campaign advisor, Barry Bennett, has been charged with FARA violations this week. But it's an information. It's not an indictment. He's not going to trial, which means there's probably already an agreement. Right? So it's just, it's an information as to one count that from July 25th, 2017, that's after Trump's campaign, to March 12th, 2018, Barry Bennett did knowingly and willfully falsely falsify, conceal, and cover up a trick or scheme or device and material facts in a matter within the jurisdiction of the FARA, a foreign, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Okay. He was using Avenue Strategies Global LLC. And the fact that it's an information means likely that there's already some sort of plea agreement worked out with them. And I want to highlight this because pretty often including recently with a particular person who is a complete, total misinformation, disinformation shill bag. People will say, well, we this person was in Trump's campaign, so that must mean they're in the know, or they're a Trump loyalist, or they're, there's something good about them or credible about them. No. In large part, Trump's 2016 campaign was a trap to catch swamp creatures. And here's another one. 
Here's a here's another one who got caught. Addition to in addition to that, Doug Watts, who was a veteran of Ben Carson's 2016 campaign and a friend of Barry Bennett, has also been charged with FARA violations. His is also an information. And it's uh, two counts right here, false statements, and then the FARA violation. And his charges go from the time frame of August 2017 to February 2018. So it's, oh, there's more. I didn't see this. Bennett and Watts have entered into deferred prosecution agreements, admitting to their conduct and agreeing to pay fines and stay out of any further trouble for 18 months in exchange for not being prosecuted. Bennett will pay 100000 Watts will pay 25000 Justice feds are unsealing a new indictment against Menendez for acting to benefit Cotter. DOJ revealed that two allies of Donald Trump face charges for illegal lobbying on behalf of the Qatari government. So both of these guys are also caught with Qatar. Although Politico is going to say that they are allies of Trump because of their associations in the Republican Party, but they're just swamp creatures. They're just swamp creatures who tried to get in on the Trump administration and Trump caught them all. Imagine being a swamp creature. Imagine being a swamp creature and thinking that getting into the Trump campaign and getting close to Trump was a good idea and not realizing that Trump is a DOJ asset and you just, you just put yourself in the spider's web. Like, <laughs> like it's like, it's like, okay, this is what it is. It's the same thing as criminals in Gotham trying to do business deals with Bruce Wayne and not realizing that he's Batman. It's, it's the exact same thing. And that's what, and that's what Watts and um, uh, Bennett did. And so did several others. The Abe theory. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And Brogent says side prediction. Keep an eye out for, for a, our favorite special master to make an appearance in the upcoming James O'Keefe scene in uh, SDNY by and diary case. Yes. Yes. Barbara Jones. Um, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Okay. So that I wanted to mention that real quick. Also, um, on, I mean, we're already here. Let's get controversial on, um, Ray Epps. So the sentencing submission came in and I'm not going to go through the sentencing submission for Ray Epps. And I really don't want to get into this big argument about Ray Epps on January 6th today. I do it often enough and it ruffles people's feathers enough and people are pretty well set in their opinions about it. But I want to point out that in the document, I believe it's this document. Um, is it this? I thought it was this one. Is that his letter? No, that's from him. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in this document right here. But I thought it was a, a footnote. 
pretty sure is a footnote that I wanted to highlight. I swear it was this document. But it's not. It is not. It's definitely from this case. Where is it? Oh, I bet it's this. So, yeah, it's this. Okay. It's this one. Okay. So Ray Epps is going to be sentenced. I don't remember what the date of his sentencing is. Um, but... Ray Epps is going to be sentenced soon, and a lot of people are throwing their arms up about it. But what I want to highlight here is that we were wrong about Ray Epps, and I think we were. I think it was a psyop, in my opinion. I think there was a psyop to make us um, think of Ray Epps and put tons of blame for January sixth on Ray Epps. And see, this is going to sound bad because it sounds like I'm defending him. I'm not defending him. Um. I'm not defending him at all. He was part of the effort to trap MAGA. So he is an oath keeper. It's funny to me. This is one of the things that's contradicts that's contradictory in the the um January 6th coverage, especially on the right, where people on the right blame Ray Epps, who is an oath keeper and a chapter president in Arizona. I remember right, he was trapped chapter president in Arizona. He was high up in Arizona chapter of Oath Keepers. But uh, people are quick to blame, identify correctly Ray Epps' role in J6 and in getting MAGA people in trouble on J6 and right, rightly in saying, look, he's engaging in a setup of MAGA on J6. So they're right about all the things they say about him there, but then they blame him as being a fed when he's not, he's just part of the oath keepers overall uh, plan to entrap MAGA on January 6th and cause an insurrection against Trump because they wanted to start a revolution. So it's everybody's right to blame Ray Epps and assign blame for January 6th to him as one of the people involved in creating the so-called insurrection on January 6th. But then they go farther than that and say that he is a fed and he was a plant there when he's, he's just one of many oath keepers and proud boys who were there to do exactly what you saw him do on camera. And I think there's been like this psyop to disconnect him from Oath Keepers by calling him a Fed over and over again, and then calling January 6th a Fed surrection in large part based on video and um, viral video of Ray Epps, when he's one of many Oath Keepers who engaged in that same behavior and worse. The difference is, and the reason that Ray Epps has been treated differently, well, one, one, it says in the footnote down here, Ray Epps has never been an employee of the federal government, not since he was a Marine. Other than his four years of service in the Marines from 79 to 83, Epps has never been a government employee or agent. So that was all false. 
the PSYOP and the efforts and the allegations and the claims that Ray Epps was a Fed or that he was some sort of plant by the DOJ or whatever were wrong. I was wrong because I thought that he might have been some sort of intelligence. But he's not. What he did that distinguishes him from the other people and the reason why he's not charged as severely as the others is that two days after January 6th, he turned himself in. And that is not what the other defendants did. That's not what the other Oath Keepers did. That's not what really anybody else did. Um, he, he, as soon as he saw himself on TV, he turned himself in. Where is it? Right here. I'll find it. Epps pleaded guilty via plea agreement, pre-indictment. So that was before he was indicted, he pleaded guilty. Um, the government's recommended sentence supports efforts, blah, 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 both on the January, both on January 5th to inspire the crowd. So look, both on January 5th and January 6th to inspire and gather a crowd to storm the Capitol in protest of the election. Uh, he was in the presence of the vanguard of rioters that overwhelmed police at three key breach points which opened the floodgates to a mob that became thousands strong. Um, three, his presence and general assistance with pushing a large metal frame sign into a group of police officers holding a defensive line, and four, participation in a rugby scrum-like group effort to push past the line of police officers. The court must also consider that Ray Epps' conduct on January 6th, like the conduct of scores of other defendants, took place in the context of a large and violent riot they relied on numbers to overwhelm police, breach the Capitol, and disrupt the proceedings. This is a unique case in the context of January 6th defendants. Although Epps engaged in felonious conduct during the riot of January 6th, his case includes a variety of distinctive and compelling mitigating factors, which led the government to exercise its prosecutorial discretion and offer Epps a pre-indictment misdemeanor plea agreement. Specifically, one, Epps turned himself into the FBI two days after the riot on January 8th, 2021. So that's why his picture disappeared from the wanted, uh, the webpage that had the wanted uh, images of who was wanted for January 6th. That's why his image disappeared immediately after becoming aware the FBI was seeking to identify him. Two, he cooperated with both the FBI and Congress, participating in multiple lengthy voluntary interviews. And three, he engaged in at least five efforts on January 6th to de-escalate conflict and avoid violence between rioters and police. And it goes on to give some examples of those where he went to other rioters and said, hey, calm down. The police aren't our enemy here. He has also expressed what appears to be sincere remorse. And although he continues to, to speciously blame members of Antifa secretly posing as Trump supporters for violence and property damage that occurred on the Capitol at the Capitol on January 6th. I don't think he's wrong about that. Finally, Epps has been the target of false and widespread conspiracy theory that he was an undercover government agent on January 6th. So I'm not defending Ray Epps at all. But what I do want to point out is that he's not a Fed. There's no evidence that he's a Fed. It's in this court document that he is not a Fed and is not an employee of any government agency or agent thereof. Um, but he is one of the Oath Keepers and the other Oath Keepers engaged in the same conduct as him and worse, the Proud Boys too. Yet MAGA has been psyoped into defending them. 
and psyoped into blaming Epps for everything that day. It's this huge glaring contradiction in the way MAGA views January 6th. Now, I think he should catch more charges. I, I think this is way too soft on Ray Epps. I think he deserves he deserves a harsher sentence. But um something that's more in line with what the rest of the Oath Keepers got. Uh but I have to I have to just guess that he cooperated so much, his cooperation was so significant in regards to those other Oath Keepers that they chose to go super light on him. I don't know. It could also be that they're going super light on him because they just want to aggravate MAGA more uh, because of the way that he was uh, targeted and became to um, he came to be the symbol in MAGA of a Fed surrection, which isn't a thing. So anyway, it's just I'm at the same time recognizing that I was wrong about him because I thought that he was an agent of intelligence of some sort. Like I thought that he was probably embedded with Oath Keepers to lead them towards doing this. Um, I don't think that now. I think I was wrong about that. But I also think a lot of other people are wrong about Ray Epps as well. And I think DOJ is wrong to not bring harsher charges against him. So everybody's wrong. <laughs> and now people can yell at me in chat for uh, not agreeing with the narratives that they bought into a long time ago because I don't buy into your PSYOP. Okay, next. So Mark Meadows' case got dis um, dismissed. Remember Mark, Mark Meadows in the Georgia case? He wanted to sever his case from the... Uh, oh, yeah, the shaman turned himself in too, but he's also, he's a total shyster. That guy is a total shyster. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but he's scamming people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars and got caught doing it. It's disgusting. It's so it's so disgusting. That was another psyop. Is that shaman? We were psyoped into defending him and all of that stuff cuz they showed the video of him walking around and not being violent or whatever. And people started defending him saying he did nothing wrong and sure enough he had a guard he had a police officer walking around with him. Uh, telling him, please don't mess anything up. This is kind of a sacred place here, you know, but he's, he's a, he's a complete, he's, yeah, I don't have anything nice to say about him. Another psyop. So, um, Meadows, Meadows, um, wanted to sever his case from, uh, Trump's case. He wanted to move it to federal court and, um, it was denied. Well, he's appealed that ruling to the 11th Circuit, okay, Court of Appeals. And he has brought on some more lawyers that are reportedly big guns. I don't know who they are, but they're reportedly big guns, okay? And um, his appeal at the 11th Circuit, I want to see, did it have... It, it, if originally he goes, a, he had a three judge panel that denied his request, but he wants the entire appeals court to, to have his appeal. So here's appeal. So I'm, pardon me. I'm kind of wondering about Meadows, like how far is he going to go with this? Cause I actually thought that he, he would give up now, but I kind of think in the Georgia case, 
like the Jack Smith case, I, I'm seeing like, here's the lines of attack, right? So um, in Jack Smith's case, they're headed to the Court of Appeals for D.C. for immunity in the uh, D.C. case, right? And then it's definitely going to go to SCOTUS. No matter what happens at the court appeal level, it's going to SCOTUS, which is why I don't care that much about the appeal level. I do as far as entertainment, honestly. But um, beyond that, it's going to SCOTUS. And that could undo these cases against Trump, and I think probably will. The, the Fulton County Rico case is different, though. And I think Meadows trying to get his case moved to the federal court to the federal circuit could work, and then the federal circuit's going to undo Fannie Willis's indictment against Trump and the co-conspirators, at least several of them. I don't think all, because I don't think everybody that was indicted by Fannie is actually innocent, 100% of the charges brought against them. Not everybody. Some are, not all. So anyway, that's what's going on with Meadows. And then in Trump's case, I wanted to point this out the other day. Um... Or I made this short thread. Um, you got to mark your calendars because January 9th at 9.30 a.m. is when the hearing on Trump's appeal at the in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to be heard. And it's going to be live streamed at the same court that heard that previous discussion about whether or not Jack, Jack Smith was an untruth speaker. Um, so it's going to be streamed live on YouTube. I don't know for sure that Badlands Media is covering it. I would expect that they would. But... Um, I haven't heard specifically uh, that, that that we are. I would expect we would do. Um, but I want everybody to just remember about the appeals thing. That no matter what happens, it's going to SCOTUS. If Trump wins, Jack Smith is appealing to SCOTUS. If Trump loses, Trump is appealing to SCOTUS. No matter what happens at the appeals level, it's going to SCOTUS. So... All the news stories going around about how the, the judges at the appeals level are Biden appointees or Bush appointee, whatever, like, and they're trying to get you upset and dooming out before it even happens and making you pessimistic. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy it. In fact, this appeals court, it won't be the same three judges as who heard this one, the appeal on the gag order on Trump. But remember, those three judges weren't Trump appointees. They were liberal judges and they got that order right. So I wouldn't doom out about what the appeals court says here, okay? Uh, just prepare to be entertained and to have a, and to hear some good arguments, basically. It's an important argument to have about what, if any, immunity presidents should have. Which brings me to uh, some of the other things going on in this case. This is the docket for the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And the judges in this case have ordered that the um, the people that are, that are appealing, the both sides, Trump's team and Jack Smith's team, need to take note and prepare to discuss arguments brought by the Amici Curie or whatever the other people who are filing outside of their parties. So such as this filing brought by Ed Meese, which is the one that says that Jack Smith was uh, illegally appointed. The Jack Smith, what does he call it? It's a, um, he is ultra, ultra V, what is it? Ultra Veri, ultra varies. 
It's something like that. It's Ultra Varies Appointment of Jack Smith. I think that's what it's called. I think it's Ultra Varies. Uh, it's somewhere in here. Anyway, it's arguing that Jack Smith was appointed. He he they didn't have the power to he doesn't have the power that they say he has. I read Ed Meese's brief. Um, it's like 30 something pages. And it's pretty interesting. And I don't actually have time to get into it today before I have to end the show. But I would like to get into it on the show um maybe on Friday and compare Jack Smith's appointment with the special counsel appointments of Mueller, Durham. Uh, Robert K. Herr and uh, David Weiss and show you the differences between their appointments. I don't have time to do it today, but I want to do it on a Friday. There's also a filing. Oh, here it is. I think it's ultra varies. It's going to bug me if I don't find it. Pretty sure ultra varies, ultra vires or something, vires, ultra vires. I think that's it. All right. Um, there's also a filing by a bunch of uh, by American Oversight here, and then there's a filing by um, some former officials that were from the Bush administration. This one. These are all like uh, people who served in various other administrations who are coming to the court to argue. Um, see, Bush, Bush, member of the House of Representatives, Ty Cobb, special counsel to Trump for a time, Society for the Rule of Law, George Conway, Patrick Fitzgerald, former U.S. attorney. The guy who gave uh, Jeffrey Epstein a sweetheart deal, by the way. Um, wasn't it? Wasn't it Fitzgerald who gave Patrick? Wasn't it Fitzgerald who gave Epstein? A, or was it uh, Costa? Anyway, Bill Crystal. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Anyway, all these people are coming in and they're arguing about how dangerous it would be to um how dangerous trump's argument is and that granting him immunity from federal prosecution for all official acts he took from the presidency uh and they're making their argument against it acosta that's it storm shelter thank you acosta so anyway um it's pretty interesting that the court is saying I want we want you to be prepared to discuss these other briefs that were filed by these other parties. Um I just find it I just find it interesting. And um how this hearing goes, it could be quite entertaining. It really could. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, I am out of time for today. Friday, let's plan on getting into the special counsel appointment. Because I want to I want to compare these other appointments and uh, look at the differences are and see if we agree with Ed Meese. Because I will tell you that I, d I like Ed Meese's filing. Um, I, th I thought it was a really good read. I thought it was well presented. 
I mean, as you would expect from from A.G. Meese. Um, really interesting points that he makes. But I will also say I don't like the effect it would have. I See, I don't want Jack Smith declared by a court to be illegal. And then his cases be thrown out. Because that's like winning on a technicality that I, I don't, I don't want that. I want, I want Jack Smith and the charges against Trump to be defeated. If, if it gets thrown out on a technicality like that, then a huge portion of our country will always say that Jack, that Trump was guilty of those charges and that he got off because the conservative court threw out the appointment of Jack Smith and they shouldn't have done it. And like, I don't want that. I want in a way I don't want, I don't want SCOTUS to throw out the charges. I want SCOTUS to trim the immunity of the presidency. I want them to constrain it. I don't want them to say there's no immunity at all. And I don't want them to say that there is full whole immunity. I want them to constrain it. And so, and then I want Trump to be able to argue his case and beat Jack Smith. So that's, that's the, if, if it, if it gets off on a technical, if he gets off on a technicality or if it's whole immune, wholesale immunity and all the charges get, the case gets dismissed, then I just feel like, um, a huge portion of our, our country will always say that Trump is guilty of these things. So that's where I'm at on it. But Hey, I've been wrong about the way things are going to go with Trump before. So, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing a trick there. Anyway, thank you guys very, very much. Judy, the winds are all around us. The winds are everywhere. You just gotta, you just gotta look for them. You just gotta look for them. I pointed some out the first half of the show. Um, guys, have a great day. I will see you tonight on Devolution Power Hour with John and Patrick. So, yeah. Good to be back. Remember, we're not gonna win every battle, but we are gonna win the war. I'll have a great day. <laughs>